Greetings, everyone. This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, the weekly dose of geeky goodness. It is uh, January 29th, 2017, and this is going to be podcast 621. On today's show, actually, originally this was going to be a video cast. I decided to do just an audio cast to make it a little bit uh, less time-consuming for me this weekend because I was traveling last week, and I have to travel again this coming week. So you're going to get an audio cast, but we're going to cover the same thing. I'm going to talk kind of about um, Star Trek. And there's a surprise, right? <laughs> the That was a goofy laugh. Yes. Uh, we mostly want to cover this new three-disc set that came out called the Roddenberry Vault. I, I've just watched uh, all the special features and extras and things on it. Um, I'll talk about it more, obviously, on the podcast, but I want to cover that, and I'm going to talk about a little bit about the upcoming Star Trek Discovery series and just kind of the state of Trek right now in general, along with some other topics, what I've been watching on television, whether it's television at home or television in an airplane or television in Mexico. Uh, but uh, the uh, yeah, a couple little bit of movie things I've seen and, and, and just a bunch more uh, geeky uh, goodness here on Treks in Sci-Fi. Insert coin. Treks in Sci-Fi. Again, welcome to the show, everyone. This is Rico. Uh, I just, uh, at the start, I want to say thanks so much uh, to Jedi Jeff and uh, his uh, co-hosts last week, Chris and Brian, for covering the ships of Rogue One. I had asked Jeff uh, if he wanted to do another show on ships and Rogue One, of course, I guess it's been out more than a month now, month and a half, uh, not a month and a half, month and a week or two. I don't know, something like that. Middle, middle December to now. I think it's still playing in theaters. I, I've, I've still only actually seen it twice, but uh, thanks to those guys for doing that cool show. Really appreciate, uh, really appreciate all the guest hosts every week or every other week, I should say, uh, that do the guest spots. Uh, it helps me out a great amount. Uh, It'd either be that or basically there'd only be two treks and sci-fis going out a month. Uh, and and these days, even then, it's it's still uh, it's pretty time-consuming. But uh, I've talked about that a lot. So thanks, guys. Uh, again, thanks for a great show. So what's been going on? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of uh, what I've been doing in the last week or so. Well, I was down on uh, in Mexico in Chihuahua uh, for the week uh, for work. I've been down there a few times. Uh, it's It's always a good trip. Uh, I like the, I like that uh, part of Mexico. I like the desert, uh, and it's uh, it was actually the weather was pretty good. Mexico and and that part of Mexico at this time of year can be anywhere from below freezing, you know, to seventy five degrees. And I had pretty much the whole range of that last week when I was down there. Uh, it was super nice the first part of the week. I mean, it's been we've had a pretty pretty mild winter in Michigan actually. We haven't gotten a lot of snow, only a couple times, and I even bought a, a snowblower this year, uh, but uh, we haven't gotten much snow, knock on wood, and and the temperatures, yeah, they've been about average. It's it's not been super, super, super cold or or warm, and we've had a couple of warm spells where it warmed up a bit, but um, yeah, not a very bad winter here in Michigan, but it was still enjoyable to go down and get some sunshine and get away from uh, the winter for, for a few days. This coming week, I actually go down to Louisville in Kentucky and although the weather down there from what I see is not that great, they're not much different in temperature than we are here in Michigan. So, uh, yeah, I, I like seeing other places and visiting other countries uh, and, and, and other people. And I had uh, <laughs> we went out, of course, to eat meat most nights. And I usually end up eating one or two things when I'm away, at, uh, especially outside the country, things I don't normally eat. So I tried uh, bone marrow for the first time. 
Yeah, it it's not very good. At least I, I it 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 they bring out this like cut bone. I don't. I I frankly don't know. I believe it was a it was like a beef bone. I'm pretty sure it was pretty big, like from a cow, and then you know kind of sliced in half, and they cooked the marrow. Um, I had a little taste of it. I didn't eat much of it. It's kind of more or less like an appetizer thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and I had some super, probably the hottest salsa I've ever had. So, uh, yeah, not, not again, not geeky talk here, but I thought some people might enjoy hearing about, you know, Rico's latest adventures outside of, uh, outside of the, U uh, S and, uh, you know, I want to say too, I want to re- remind everyone, I think I've mentioned it a couple times, at least on the podcast so far, there's a few of us going to, um, going to be down at uh, Star Wars Celebration in Orlando uh, in April. It's in mid-April. It's actually, I think it's Easter weekend uh, and whatever. I think it's like the 13th of April to the 17th. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's going to be actually Jedi Jeff uh, from last week's show. He's going to be there as well, uh, which I just learned about uh, not too long back now. And that's cool. Of course, uh, Joe from Canada, Joe from the Star Wars Tax Show, and from Upper Memory Block Show podcast. Uh, too many words. Too many words. Me not speak well. Uh, but uh, so Jeff, Joe, and and Chris. Uh, everybody knows Chris. He's been on this show quite a few times. They do. Uh, he does Star Wars Stacks with Jen and Joe. And uh, so we're going to be all down there. The four of us, uh, all of us compadres, and uh, you're going to be down in Orlando at Star Wars Celebration. Uh, a cool thing that I just that I just found out a couple of days ago uh, on my email, I t- decided to, even though I already bought a uh, ticket, uh, I'm actually just going, we're going Friday and Saturday. I uh, get in on Thursday and then leave uh, early Sunday. So Thursday, sorry, Thursday we're probably going to go see Harry Potter, that Harry Potter um uh, wizardly world thingy um i think a thursday afternoon when after i get there and then uh friday saturday at the star wars con but i got a uh, press badge i got um i filled out an application about a month ago i and uh, you know they want you to include links to uh you what you've done you know media coverage how you cover star wars and things like that so i i put up some of the con videos that i've done uh not con but, you know, convention videos and Star Wars videos and stuff. Link to some of the old vidcasts and things that I've done. Filled out all the other stuff on the forum. Subscriber base and all the other little details. And then, uh, yeah, just a couple of days ago, took about a month, I guess, to learn or find out. And uh, and I got a uh, I got approved. So I'm going to get a press badge. So um, I don't know what I'm going to do with these other tickets that I have. Hey, if there's anyone out there listening uh, that are that's in the Florida area... Or, or is planning on going to Star Wars Celebration and wants some uh, cheap tickets, you know, shoot me an email, treksf at gmail.com. I, I know technically they say, I looked at the fine print on these uh, tickets that I purchased. I didn't get them yet. They're coming in the mail in March. Uh, but um, they say they're non-transferable. But I, I don't know if your name's on them or not. I'm not really sure how they're going to know about that exactly. But maybe somebody's got some experience with that. Uh, but there also d- doesn't appear you can get your money back either. So uh, I, I would like the tickets to go to somebody. You know, I might even just give them away on the podcast if nobody's interested in purchasing them. I mean, I don't even really want face value. Uh, they're kind of, uh, they were, well, if anyone's interested uh, and, and it has any info on if these tickets can just, if they're just a printed ticket and they all look the same, uh, it Pass, uh, you know, pass it on to or, or email me, whatever I'm, whatever I'm trying to say, treksf at gmail.com. But e- even if that doesn't, even if they just sit here and I don't use them, that's fine. I, I got a press badge, which is pretty cool, and uh, and I, I appreciate that. I, I just didn't know if that would happen or not. I, I've, you know, I've gotten press badges for conventions before. I've never gone to Star Wars Celebration. This is the first time I've ever actually gone to one of these. So I've never uh, even applied for a Celebration press badge before. So I wasn't sure how particular they were or what their cutoff or how they decide. You know, you never know. Like I've I've gotten them for Wizard World, Wizard World conventions, but not always, and, and uh, which is weird. But Wizard World, I don't know. They they've they've had some issues of recent times, so I'm I'm not sure what's going on there. Most of the time, I've actually been able to get them, uh, whether it's here in Detroit at Motor City Comic Con. Or Wizard World cons, uh, most of the time they they 
they'll um, I've been able to get a press badge. Fill out the form in in time and send it in, and I can usually get one. So, but I wasn't sure about Star Wars and Celebration. I thought they might be get flooded a lot more with applications and be more particular. But yeah, it worked out. So uh, pretty cool. Um, so yeah, let me. Uh, should we take a short break? Yeah, it's about 10 minutes in. Let me take a short break here, just a pause, and I'm going to come back talk a little bit about some current TV movies and things, and, and then we'll get into talking about the Roddenberry Vault uh, three-disc uh, set that I have. Hi, this is Ashley Victoria Robinson. I play Ensign Williams on the Red Shirt Diaries web series, and you are listening to Rico on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. All right, I'm back. Um, television, yeah, it's it's been a pretty good tv season i've talked to you know each each podcast most podcasts i talk a little bit about what i'm watching um still greatly enjoying timeless uh still my favorite i think new show this year not really watching actually a lot of new shows that i haven't watched or or that are i should say you know obviously new for this uh tv season there wasn't a lot that 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 came on Uh, i'd say that i started to watch this new emerald city it's pretty good. It's better than I thought it was going to be, and I'm still watching it. I think I'm, um, what did they just do, episode three or four we're up to now? Um, I like it. I, 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 I don't know. We're, we'll see how it goes. I'm not sure if it's going to be a show that's that's got a lot of, like, long-term um, sustainability, we'll call it. But um, but I, I it, the production is pretty cool. Timeless is uh, fantastic, though. The, the time travel show. You know, some people may not have been, uh, you know, interested in another type of time travel show. Uh, time travel gets done a lot. It's been done a lot on The Flash the last couple of seasons, which is still great. Um, but this show, there, there's something different about the way they're doing it. I, I, I'm really finding it really compelling. Each week it's more interesting. There's a lot of depth to it. The characters are interesting. And, and the, the recent episode that they just had on this week where they went back into the Old West and met Jesse James... I mean, the photography and and the direction in the episode, too, was I, I don't usually pay much attention to that. Sometimes I think if you see it or notice it too much, it can distract. But it was a beautifully shot episode. Uh, they were out in the snowy mountains. And I, I'm sure it was just filmed in the California out in the you know mountains there. But I, I saw places and things that, that I don't see on television generally. Uh, bottom line of it is if you're not watching Timeless and you're a geek and a sci-fi fan, get caught up. Uh, it's an NBC show. NBC, yeah. And it's on Monday nights, 10 o'clock. I typically record it. I don't usually watch shows. Um, I, I don't hardly watch much TV live anymore. Uh, but, yeah, I, I greatly enjoy that show. Also, another favorite of mine came back recently in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the TV show. It's also an NBC show called Grimm. Uh, they're in their last run. Uh, they're getting a shorter, I think, season this year. It was it was a little shaky whether it would come back at all this year. Uh, and then last year they decided to do a final kind of partial season. I think it's going to be maybe around 13 episodes. So it didn't start until after the new year. It didn't start in the fall. Uh, but it's it's really good. It's a, it's always been a good show. I've I've really enjoyed it, and this season's been good too. So. Uh, so those are the ones, I'm, and of course, all I enjoy all the CW superhero type shows. Those those are great, and uh, that's pretty much it. Walking Dead is on hiatus right now, which is fine because that show will wear you down. Um, no new real Doctor Who except for the Christmas special that we got, which was fun. And uh, what else has is, is been missing for a long time? Oh, Game of Thrones. I don't know. <laughs> it's been off the air for a while, and it's. I don't even think is it coming back in this year. I don't think it is. I, 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 is it? I don't know. I'm not positive about that. If it is, it's probably pretty late this season, I guess. So yeah, there's some of these big shows are, are gone for, for a bit. Uh, um, movies though, a couple things I wanted to mention. I think, did I talk about, I saw Underworld, the new Underworld movie a few weeks ago. If I did talk about, it, I apologize if I'm repeating myself. I'm not going to say much, except I thought it was enjoyable. And if you like those movies, you'll enjoy this one. Uh, I also saw last week uh, that Triple X movie with Vin Diesel, just for some silly action. And it was fun, but uh, I, I guess in a way it's sort of a geeky, nerdy show because there's some tech involved and some crazy, crazy hijinks and, and sort of a James Bond-ish, except for the, uh, you know, I don't know, skateboard crowd, even though Vin Diesel is like almost 50 now or whatever. There was a review I read that didn't really care for the movie that much. And one of the things they pointed out is uh, – uh, 
is 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 two of the main guys in it. Well, Vin Diesel and then uh, Donnie is is his last name Yen. Donnie Yen Yan. I I for, forget. He you know he played uh, Chirrut. Is that how you say his name? Um, in uh, Rogue One, you know he's the Asian blind Asian master of that stick and all. Um, uh, he's in this triple X movie and uh, he's really good. But he's also a little bit up there. Not that there's anything wrong with being a little older. I'm I'm all for that in in movies. Uh, but you know, the, it's the roles they're playing, you know, they're trying to be these hipster kind of, you know, we're, we're young, we're daredevils and things. And, uh, I, I mean, they, the, um, what ice cube, is that what his name is or whatever they, you know, they, uh, they try to sort of reboot the triple X thing with him in it. And he, he pops up in this one too, but, uh, Samuel Jack, Samuel L. Jackson is back in the movie as well, but, uh, I did want to go see Resident Evil, but it's this weekend it opened, and I'm just too busy with stuff. So I uh, think I'm going to hold off on that one for a bit uh, before I'll see it. Maybe maybe just end up waiting for that one on Netflix or whatever. Um, what else? I think uh, I think that's pretty much covering things as far as movies, TV. Uh, there's not. Uh, I'm looking forward to the new John Wick movie in a couple of weeks, um, but uh, yeah, that that should cover it for now. And uh, let's get into the Roddenberry Vault. Hello, my name's Rod Roddenberry. 50 years ago this September, my father's creation, Star Trek, first premiered on television. Five decades later, most people believe there's nothing more to be revealed or seen from Star Trek, the original series. But they're about to be pleasantly surprised. Bones, how long has it been since we've seen flowers like these? Three years, 23 days. It's more like 300 years, 23 days. For decades now, my family has been preserving over a thousand cans of discarded original series footage. These were the 35 millimeter clippings from the cutting room floor. In celebration of Star Trek's 50th anniversary, I'm working with CBS Home Entertainment on a very special three disc Blu-ray release. Star Trek, the original series, The Roddenberry Vault. 12 original series episodes picked for their relevance to the lost footage are included. The lost pieces will be interwoven into original documentaries featuring all new interviews. We seek to explain the inexplicable by telling a story. This will be the first time that anyone really has the chance to view and own these fascinating moments from the very beginning of the Star Trek phenomenon. It's my hope that this Roddenberry Vault Blu-ray will become a cherished keepsake for fans around the world and further my father's vision and legacy. Thank you all live long and prosper yeah this three disc set uh we'll just segue right into it um i got uh, around christmas uh kind of a gift from me to me kind of a thing um but um the promise of this set and i'll, and I'll play a little preview uh clip here for it in a second but was um there are these uh old cans of film uh, that are owned uh i guess they're i guess they're owned by the roddenberry uh you know, heirs, Rod Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry's son. And um, so there's all this old film around from from the filming days of Star Trek. Uh, cutting room floor, floor type pieces, uh, unused scenes, omitted bits and stuff like that. Now, back in the day when there was this company, one of the early, early, probably the earliest Star Trek merchandising companies called Lincoln Enterprises, and I'm old enough to know about this place, they used to sell little film clip cells. They would take some of this film footage and cut little clips into 35 millimeter uh, uh, projector slides, you know, good old slide projectors would use. Uh, and they would sell those pretty cheaply, actually, at the time. And I, I ended up ordering a few of those things and other little bits and badges and stuff from their company, scripts that they would print out. And uh, good old days of... Uh, <laughs> The times when you actually had to mail in to get stuff too, you know, internet and, uh, but so there's all this old film around and, and they put together this package called the Roddenberry vault. And, uh, well, let me play one of these previews for it here and you can get a little bit of a feel for what this is all about. If it's been 50 years, there's no way you think that you haven't seen absolutely everything about Star Trek. Every person has told every single story that they possibly could tell. Every frame of film has been seen that could possibly be seen. The idea that there would be something out there that people had not seen seems a little impossible, but I will be first in line to, uh, 
to see it. As a fan, I was always really obsessed with what are those scenes that ended up in the cutting room floor? Now that I'm a television writer and producer, I know there's there must be tons of scenes that never made it on the air that would just be wonderful to see. We always had this dream that stuff was gonna turn up and we figured there has to be some stuff buried somewhere. Hopefully it'll be discovered before someone bulldozes a building that it's in or something like that. I would know if it's out there, okay? I've gone all over the internet. I have been to a million conventions. The prospect of seeing a deleted scene, one deleted scene, alternate points of view from any of those 79 episodes would have been enough for me to go, wow a different perspective, something new. It's like discovering Star Trek all over again. I'm a Star Trek completionist. If there are outtakes, if there are cut scenes, and if they existed and they were available in some fashion, I would consume them ravenously. Just when you think you've seen everything about Star Trek, suddenly here are these moments thought to be forever lost to time. The moment before the camera rolls, the moment after the camera rolls. When you see even a glimpse of moments you haven't seen when you've kind of seen everything, it pulls you right back into the very first time you saw Star Trek. And you always, in all Star Trek footage, the chemistry's there. It's like, it's like the Beatles. There is a great chemistry in the cast. It's always great to see because there's so much laughter. That raw footage is a prism into the making of the episodes. It's as close as you'll ever get to knowing what it was like to be on set. So to have a chance to look at this original footage would be a remarkable glimpse inside a world that many of us would have never dreamed possible to see. Yeah, so the, uh, yeah, basically this, um, the way they did this, uh, uh, the, um, sorry, losing my train of thought here for a second. The way they presented this uh, package, the Roddenberry Vault, is, is kind of interesting. I, I, there are things that I really like about it uh, and and a couple of things that I have kind of a little bit of a problem with. But, um, well, we'll talk about it here in a second. The um, the way it's presented, it's a three-disc set. I got the Blu-ray, of course. And, and, you know, it's touted as having never-before-seen footage uh, from the original Star Trek. Of course, this is all focused on the original series, which is my favorite by far. And so for a fan like me... And some things have of what what's in this set I've I've heard about and seen over the years due to these film clips, due to uh, stories at conventions, due to things that were included in the James Blish um, novelizations, uh, the way they novelized the uh, is novelized a word, the way they basically turned the episodes James Blish did of the original series in, into more of a, a fully fleshed story in book form. Uh, if you not know about those, just search for Star Trek James Blish. Uh, I'm sure you can still pick them up or something on Amazon. Um, so they they selected 12 episodes to focus on, and they're and they're really uh, in general, uh, you know, some really great episodes that they chose. Uh, you know, things like the trouble with Tribbles, and Who Mourns for Adonis, uh, This Side of Paradise, The City on the Edge of Forever, of course, Mirror Mirror, uh, Return to Tomorrow, Arena. Space Seed, the Corbomite Maneuver, the Devil in the Dark, uh, just just some great stuff. So the way each disc is presented, there's three discs, there's 12 episodes they cover, and they play, there's four episodes per disc, and, and they have two special features per disc. And what it basically is, is for the most part, um, there are um, interviews. Uh, people, people are interviewed. William Shatner is one of them. Uh, Adam Nimoy, uh, Leonard Nimoy's son is on here. Uh, there's a lot of DC Fontana who's, uh, uh, she was of course, you know, one of the writers, uh, Gene Roddenberry started as Gene Roddenberry's, uh, I don't know, assistant slash secretary, we'll call her. And, and then eventually became a, a pretty key writer on Trek. Um, the, um, other uh, other Star Trek uh, people, Scott Mance, who who you know big fans and who know Trek real well. Um, Mark Arnold, is that how you say his last his first name? Is it Mark? I I don't know. He he used to do cons a lot. He was like ba basically Gene Roddenberry's assistant in his later years. And uh, so you've got a, a basically a, a panel of Trek experts. Oh, David Gerald, uh, another writer on the original series, wrote uh, the Trouble with Tribbles. And a couple of the, a couple of celebrity types, a couple of the actors, 
and, and they they basically talk about these episodes, their meaning, and then they intersperse with that some some of this unused footage and clips. And they also present on each disc you get the you get all four episodes that they're talking about, the full episodes. But they don't they don't try to create some kind of new director's cut. The footage is pretty raw. And and they don't really they don't have a means here to insert it into the episodes. It's not like, um, you know, modern movies where they have deleted scenes that that are fully done pretty much a lot of times. And when they're just cutting the movie, they find out the movie's like a half hour too long and they start snip snipping. But that footage all could be later put into a director's cut. And it's pretty seamless. You know, you don't notice a difference in quality. Well, here it's not really that the way. Most of the time, most of the time, it's like alternate takes, like a different camera angle, or or the verbiage or the lines were were um, slightly different. Um, there are some scenes, there are some clips and scenes and things that are completely unique and stuff that wasn't just you know completely a deleted scene that was not in, not in the uh, episode ever, not just an alternate version or alternate angle or take or whatever, but. But dialogue and things that were not, and some of it's even just audio only. Um, but they do a pretty good job, and, and there's little snippets of this per uh, per episode of the four episodes per disc, and then these guys all sit around and kind of have a little roundtable discussion about the um, the episodes. And I found it really really fascinating. I'd say that there are, each disc has about an hour worth of special features, approximately. Uh, with these people talking, and there's usually two features. There are two features per 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 disc. So you have like six. Um, what is that? So you have six special features, two per of the three discs, at about an hour total. Each one's about a half hour. So so you will really only have probably about three hours ish of kind of original content uh, for this for this set. You have. 12 episodes, you know, 12 Trek episodes. If you don't have episodes or if you don't have these episodes, it's a way for you to have them. But probably most by far the people who buy this set will have already gotten Blu-rays or DVDs of these Trek episodes. So to me, it's a little bit, eh, I mean, I know why they included them. That's kind of good. You can reference them right on the same disc. That's that's not a bad idea. But I, I felt a little bit like we weren't getting as much as we probably should have for our money. Um, I mean, I love TOS, and just to see these little bits, it's this set is completely worth it to me. But I, I, I did still feel that there was a little bit, they should have done a little more. Uh, I, I kind of feel like there, there wasn't really enough of this extra stuff. And, and, and frankly, a lot of the ads and, and uh, stuff you can find on YouTube for it is, you know, is out there. There are there's a lot on the sets that's that's not just sitting on YouTube, but I but I I still um, I still feel like it was a little bit light on the on this extra footage that they really were pushing and advertising hard. But uh, you know even with that said, there's there's some really interesting commentary. Uh, these guys really know this their stuff and their and and Trek, and I'm gonna play a little bit of that for you starting now here. I'm gonna play a. Um, I think this one starts out with Adam Nimoy talking about uh, Leonard, and I think there's some William Shatner talking about Leonard and how how uh, hard it was for him to you know play a role, of basically an emotionless role of Vulcan uh, on Star Trek, and, and it was tricky compared to the rest of the actors. So, so listen to this, and I'll be back in a moment. My dad reminded me again, shortly before he passed away, that he really was more different and apart than anybody else on the bridge because he's the only one who's part alien. Because of that, his objective was to try to fit in with the rest of the crew. My dad could take on roles and play them with a professionalism so profound that he was unrecognizable to me. Since the Enterprise is obviously functional, I suggest we return to our starting place at once. I said. Wrong. Let's do it again. Uh, I suggest we return to our uh, starting save place it, please. warp speed. Leonard uh, was coming at it that I'm in character and I'm in character all day long. Uh, whereas we were able to to throw it off. Radiation entering the lethal. No, 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 no. Okay, so, right. so right. Radiation at the tolerance level. Like, I mean, he was a serious artist about it. That was his way of working. But there was so many long hours. It was a tough thing for him to do. Go. What's the line? 
My memory is so fond of DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy. We spent the most time together day after day. There was a very rare day. I guess if I was kissing a girl, they weren't there. We were thrust into each other's company for long periods of time. We were laughing all the time. Action. Jim. Spock. Don't you, all right? Yeah, my... Patient spattered me with a rock. She's gone. I can't get on my mark either. Save it, please. Leonard was a very funny guy. DeForest Kelly had a sly southern sense of humor, and I played the fool. It was wonderful fun. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's. It, Again, the, uh, the these documentaries, these special features on these discs, uh, they, they go a long way to fleshing out uh, some things. And, and most of it, you know, as a longtime TOS fan, been to tons of conventions, watched tons of specials, heard the actors talk time and time again. Most of it's the kind of stuff that both I've, I've, um, I've known a long time, heard a long time. But it's super still cool and nice to hear. Uh, these guys have a lot, a lot of respect for Trek and, and how how much it really pushed. It really pushed the envelope and pushed the boundaries of of, of everything, television, entertainment, uh, what was acceptable uh, back in the 60s. I, I know this gets talked about with the original series quite a bit. You know, the, the, the crew made up from, you know, different people from different places of the, of the world, but... I still think that there's a bunch of people who don't really, in this day and age, really understand how hard and how groundbreaking that really was and how I think it impacted even, you know, future Trek, future television, uh, movies and everything. Uh, Gene, you know, he, I mean, he basically, you know, was a visionary and a genius to, to do what he was doing. And there's so many things in Trek that uh, that that were just very you know, insightful of what was to come. It's just amazing to me still to this day. Um, but, uh, but again, I wish there had been a little bit more, more clips. There was, there's an interesting one with, um, I didn't, I didn't capture it for this uh, podcast, but if you get the set, you'll see it. There's an interesting one about, um, Sulu and Kirk talking on the bridge, uh, about, uh, they call them Orientals, you know, and, and the history of, of Orientals instead of Asians, you know, it just shows, it shows it's a little bit of the period, of course, but, um, stuff like that. I, 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 I love, you know, the original series, but you know, you have to admit that Kirk, Spock, McCoy were always the center of episodes. And anytime you saw a little bit more, a hint of the other characters or actors getting a little more to do, I was always all for that and excited by that. And there's a, there, you get a bit of that in these clips, you know, you get a bit of a sense that, that a bit of what was cut were some of these things for some of the other actors to a degree. There's a nice scene with Uhura and, and Spock talking about the Vulcan harp, uh, in a third season episode. Uh, there's another scene with, uh, with Chekhov and Sulu, uh, talking, things like that. So that, that's really cool. The, um, the other thing that comes out when you're watching the, these documentaries and things is, is the, um, how the episodes sort of evolved and changed a little bit as you, as you saw them. And you hear from, uh, they have a director to um, Ralph Sineski, I think they interview, uh, and talk about like this side of paradise and a couple of others and, and just, just how these episodes really were, uh, you know, took so much to get them to where they, you know, what, what we ended up seeing and all the work that went into them and how little things, you know, nowadays, I guess, you know, you're, we're used to seeing these episodes the way they are. So it looks like perfection, right? Or it looks like, well, I couldn't believe they'd ever do it any other way. Right. That's, that's kind of what you think when you, when you, when you've seen something so many times, it becomes like, well, that's gotta be the way to do it. Right. Or that is the way, but it's fun to see this other stuff at least. And, uh, the next little audio clip here that I'm going to play for you here in a second, uh, I just thought this one was kind of nice to hear. It starts off with a guy from NASA. He's one of the interviewees. I forget what his name is. Uh, but they talk about the Enterprise and the design of the Enterprise. And, and the Enterprise is basically another a character and maybe one of the most important characters on Star Trek. But I, I've always loved the original series 
enterprise design. It's it's probably basically my favorite uh, of the ship designs. I mean, I love the movie Enterprise, the original, uh, the the motion picture movie Enterprise. That's a great look too, especially on the big movie screen. But there's something about the original in the original series that it has always been. Uh, I probably built that model, you know, 20 times when I was a kid. So um, anyway, and I oh, oh the story there is I would. Back in those days, those model kits, they eventually started to include other starship names and numbers. And so you'd have, you could have a whole fleet of ships. And I built a bunch of them. <laughs> but uh, but listen to this. These guys talk about uh, the Enterprise and, and uh, how elegant the design is of the ship. The Enterprise is really a beautiful ship, almost simplistic. So I like the idea that the original Enterprise is kind of very smooth, that we've somehow gotten to the level of technical knowledge and ability that we can make all these things look perfectly smooth and it doesn't matter that you know an antenna wants to stick out here it'll be cleanly integrated into this design design tells you that maybe by this period the technical ability had caught up to the designer's vision of what a spaceship should look like it's a beautiful ship i'm gonna have one on my desk there's something about the design of the enterprise that it haunts people <laughs> it's never been equaled it just looked right it looks kind of like a sailing ship. You can almost imagine it's kind of a, a space sailing ship, but at the same time, it looks like a NASA design. So it was perfect in its believability. The size of it but was also impressive back then. This was a giant ship with corridors and the idea of the bridge being on top. I remember as kids, you know, my brother obsessing where everything was. We didn't know where the bridge was for a long time. We're like, where are they in the ship? And there was one episode, camera zooms into the bridge and you see it and I'm like, oh, there they are. And then we were all excited about that. I will be driving down the freeway and I will be imagining the Enterprise flying ahead of me. It's bizarre. I don't know what, what it is, but it's never gotten out of my head. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. I enjoy that a lot. Um, that's one, one of the great little bits on uh, one of the um, documentaries. Uh, what else? Okay, so so again, like I said earlier, there's 12 episodes, and, and they do this. They break this up um, into three discs and two documentaries per disc. One, one of the other things they talk a little bit about more related to sort of the design of the show set design, costumes, uh, little details like that is um, they talk about uh, designer uh, Wa Chang, uh, who basically designed a, a lot of the props that you see, the phaser, the tricorder communicator, and, and some other things, uh, some individual props and things that were used on certain shows like the Tribbles uh, and and the um, just the coolness of his design and the one of the one of the ongoing sort of themes or points that the, all these guys make throughout these documentaries is Star Trek, the original series. Now, some people will still say, will, will say that it looks a little hokey these days, but, but the enterprise itself, the design of the ship, the, the, the look of the bridge, the, the, just the overall, um, aesthetic and, uh, and set designs and, and, uh, colorfulness and, and uniforms and all that. The thing that I like about the original series is you don't see really technology that was used. It's not like they took a good old, you know, they had these big old, um, let me make a comparison. This will be simpler. If, if those listening uh, knew, know the original, um, the original, well, they're doing, I guess, a new one, I think on Netflix, Lost in Space, the 60s, 1960s Lost in Space show. Well, they had these like big old reel-to-reel -reel kind of data uh, computer components on the Jupiter 2. Although a lot of the set, I think, on the Jupiter 2 looks very futuristic and doesn't look like other stuff. But they would intersperse and put things on there that were computer gear and things of the day. Um, that's that's not the best way to do it, right? It's like watching a, I, I, I like to watch sometimes old Seinfeld episodes, and they have these huge phones and... You don't want to use current technology in a futuristic show because eventually in 10, 20, 30 years, that technology, people are going to be watching maybe reruns or Blu-rays or whatever, and it's going to look funny, right? It's not going to look futuristic at all because it, we're well beyond what, what we have. You know, a computer from 20 years ago doesn't look anything like a computer today, right? Pretty much, more or less. I mean, you know, much more streamlined and so forth. But you guys know what I'm saying. So the the coolness I always thought, especially about the original, the the TOS original series bridge, 
is that, you know, with the lighty, the little light stuff that they did, you know, with the little colored lights for the switches and the 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 uh, display monitors and things like that, it doesn't look like anything that was around at that time or is around these days. So it works. It still works. It still looks okay. It looks a little, to some people, funny because they're like, well, that doesn't seem like it really does anything, but at least it's unique and it doesn't look like you know, 1960s technology. Another thing, you know, they did the same kind of thing really when they did the, you know, when they restarted Star Trek with TNG, they had all the touch screens, right? So you could put any kind of um, look and design on those. And, and that made a lot of sense because, you know, why would there be, you know, mechanical switches and buttons? That doesn't make any sense. And now, of course, you know, we have iPads and, and all kinds of touch devices like our phones and, and things like that, computers, even laptops and so forth. So, so, but still, even with us having a lot of touch active devices these days, those designs are, um, are still, uh, they still work because the, what, what they displayed on the screen is, is futuristic looking with the Lacars type thing that Mike Okuda created and, and did on TNG. So I think you guys get what I'm meaning, but, um, so let me play, um, I don't think I played the cliplet yet. I hope I didn't. <laughs> I, I started tangenting off a little bit, I think. But yeah, we were talking about design, design of the show and and uh, Wa Chang. So let me play that uh, commentary from these guys about him that was on the, uh, the Roddenberry Vault Discs. Everybody was having fun. There was a team feeling. And you could see that people say, I can make this a little better. I have not seen very many shows with that kind of morale behind the scenes. We did not know we were making history. We just thought we were doing the best job we could. I had no idea the importance of what I was doing. It was, it was a job. I didn't know what a triple was. And I saw them on the set. And I saw that they moved and they, they made noises. Watching did these props that were so wonderful. Little walking dog, he cut the head off, put a battery underneath with a switch, and then he put a triple skin over it and it would walk. Shatner picks it up, scoops it up, and what you don't see is he reaches underneath and switches it off so he can say his line. Wa Chang did so much of the early development of props and costumes for Star Trek, and I don't think most fans even know the name. The phaser, the communicator, the tricorder, the Vulcan harp, the Romulan Bird of Prey. All these things were designed by Wa Chang. He created the Baylock head, among other things, besides the Gorn and alien character things, not just props. Gene was very lucky to get some really good people who had worked on Outer Limits and, and other shows. I believe Wa Chang had come from Outer Limits as well. He sort of had pick of the crop back then because some shows like Twilight Zone and, and Outer Limits had already finished before Star Trek started. Yeah, yeah, really good, good stuff. All right, then, well, let's kind of wind this down a little bit. Not much more to say. I've got one more clip to play for you. Um, this is, there's a, one of the episodes that they focus on, of course, is the very famous and my favorite episode, The City on the Edge of Forever, uh, written by Harlan Ellison, even though it was heavily rewritten for the for the show. And uh, I still think it's a, it's an amazing episode, just, just perfect, basically. I, I mean, I've read Harlan's original story, I've read the comic they adapted it into. I've heard Harlan talk uh, about it a lot. Uh, I mean, I could see his point, and I, I can see some of the things he wanted to do were interesting. And, and this probably goes back to my earlier point about, but once you've seen City on the Edge Forever, what they did for the show, and you've seen it a million times, and it's burned into your brain, it's hard to imagine any other way of doing it. Um, but, but I do respect Harlan for you know, saying, well, this is my, you know, writing, this is the way I want it, this is, you guys shouldn't be messing with it. I can completely respect that, and I, I you know, hats off to him for being, being a guy who doesn't like people messing with his work, <laughs> even if it's for a TV show that other people are working on and have, yeah, they have some idea of what, what it might be that they might need to twist or change for their particular show. Uh, but uh, with all that said, there's some cool uh, little tidbits, some extra dialogue and scenes for City on the Edge Forever that's on these discs. And uh, this last clip that I want to play for me from this set is uh, William Shatner talking a bit about uh, this episode in particular and how uh, how it impacted him a bit. So uh, listen to this, and I'll be back and uh, finish off this look at the Roddenberry Vault. Why are things so magical to an audience. Why do things last so long? Because it's so touching and because it's meaningful and that story touches you. 
it's universal. It was a beautiful story. It was lovely to act. It was well-directed, a shot, everything. It's one of those wonderful moments. You've started pulling away from me again. Please don't, ever. I live my life as an actor by moments, because we work in such pieces in film. All you can do is be truthful to the moment that you're on the camera. My ideal work as an actor is to be in the moment all the time, to be right there. Sometimes you can't because you gotta hit a mark and then you gotta dodge a punch and it takes you away from being in the moment. But if you can be, if you can exist as the character, those are the finest moments. And you look forward to that. And in that show, I was there. All right, so uh, yeah, that that pretty much wraps things up. Yeah, good good stuff with City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, bottom line of this, the Roddenberry Vault set, I would say, if you're a big TOS fan, this is this is pretty much a must buy. I mean, if you love TOS like I do, you you got to have this, even with the only about three hours of of kind of new stuff to watch. Um, the uh, the episodes are, like I said, a nice touch to include. I, I hope I hope they continue this. I mean, I mean, it's uh, I would love to see more of these where they cover other episodes, do the same kind of format again. I hope they can include a bit more stuff if they can find it. Uh, you know, maybe this is all they could find on these episodes. I, I don't know how their process was, you know, if they cut, you know, if they found stuff more for like City on the Edge Forever or Trouble with Tribbles that they didn't include and could have put on here. Um I kind of doubt it. I, I, I would think they would have included most of it. But, uh, yeah, I would love to see them go back and do other episodes uh, and, and do this kind of thing. I'd like to see them do it for other series like uh, TNG and, and that, you know, more behind the scenes. And I know that some of that stuff is on some of those discs already, but maybe there's more out there. I mean, I'm all always for anytime we can get a little bit more uh, Star Trek, I, I'm excited. And, uh, and this is fantastic. So, uh yeah, that's my recommendation. So again, TOS fans certainly buy it. If you're a Trek fan, you might like it too. Um, but just be warned, there's it, it's a little limited on on what's included. And uh, I I hope uh, if they do more, there'll be a little bit more on future packages. So I'm gonna take a break, and then I'm gonna talk a little bit about Star Trek Discovery here on Treks in Sci-Fi. All right, Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek colon Discovery. Yes, yes uh, the new um, Star Trek series coming uh, that'll be on CBS All Access. Everyone's super happy about that, right? And Netflix and other countries besides the U.S. The uh, Beyond that, uh, let's, sit, let's just talk about what we know. And I'm going to play later uh, after I wrap up, uh, probably as, as I uh, finish the show. They have... Uh, I guess maybe it's not official, but it's pretty darn official. Uh, it's about a two-minute-long musical suite that's supposed to be the theme uh, music to the new sh- show. So, And it sounds pretty likely just because it sounds very Trek-like to me and very space opera-ish. Um, but let's talk about what we know about Star Trek Discovery. And I'm still super pumped up for this show. You know, originally when it was first announced, we were going to have it about this time. It was going to start in January of 2017. They ran into delays, of course. Things took longer. Brian Fuller is no longer associated with the show, even though he was one of the creators of the the show and the concept for it. But let's talk about, uh, uh, excuse me, let's talk about what we do know, a little bit about the cast that's been announced and and so forth. Um, But it was, yeah, it was going to be out in January originally. And then then their new date uh, was May. They said they were going to start filming at the end of this month, January don't know officially if they've started yet, if that happened or not. But really recently, they have announced that they don't have, it won't be out in May, they don't have a new date set for the release. I kind of predict they'll probably push it to the to do a fall release, even though in a way to compete with all the other fall television, that's probably not the best idea. I thought it was going to be great if it was going to come out in the spring. Because that's when all the TV seasons wind down, and then this gives us something cool to watch during the summer and so forth. But they may also think people don't watch as much TV, whether it's you know online television or whatever during the spring and summer. That's big movie season, right? So maybe this is all just a strategy for them to do it in the fall when they think more people will be watching. Um, but um, 
whatever it is, I, I, I'd be shocked if we don't get it, if it doesn't start sometime in late 2017. It would really surprise me. I do believe that they are either near filming or it's just about to start filming. The cast is pretty much set. And, uh, you know, there's talk that it's taken longer for them to work on some of the sets and design. There's talk that the lead actress is, you know, she's connected to the Walking Dead show. So there's some there's a little bit of crossover there that might be an issue. Uh, but uh, with, with, with all that said, I, I'm still pretty excited. So the it, for those that don't know, and all this has been, an, you know, put out there for a while. So it's not spoilers, I don't think. It's, it's nothing inside. It's not like I've been talking to, uh, you know, I've got... CBS or Paramount on hot, you know, my, my quick dial on my phone that I can get deep information that's not been released. I'm just kind of recapping for everybody, but the show is basically supposed to be set about 10 years before the original series. So post enterprise, but just slightly before uh, TOS. Uh, so this puts us in a, in a pretty raw time and still in the Federation, you know, you know, what I still consider to be somewhat the early days of it. And the, uh, the concept here is that, that it's going to be a pretty Klingon-heavy show and that there's going to be some potential that the Klingons and the Federation are perhaps working together in some capacity. I don't know. That's just that, that part's speculation. But there, there are definitely Klingon cast members announced that that original during, I think it was last summer's Comic-Con, that little bit of raw, uh, very early... Uh, uh, special effects footage of the ship makes the new ship, the Discovery, uh, look very like a hybrid ship between the Klingon sh designs and the Federation Starfleet designs. So, um, so the uh, yeah, so I think it's going to be a pretty heavy Klingon show. So if you like Klingons, that should be good. No real word on on the design of the Klingons. Is it going to look more like the original series Klingons, the movie era slash TNG and forward Klingons, somewhere in between? I don't know. I I think it would be odd if they look like the original series, but I could live with that. I, I think the I think the majority of people these days, with all the trek that's come after that, think Klingons have the funny foreheads, you know, like Worf and all that kind of look. So I have a feeling they'll look like that. Maybe they'll tone it down a little bit. Maybe we'll get kind of a hybrid Klingon. Again, this part speculation. Maybe we'll get uh, somebody who looks a little bit more like Balana from um, Voyager. With a little bit of a forehead, but but looks more human than like Worf does. Who knows? So let me uh, let's go through the cast because I think it's a they they have obviously focused on on a very diverse cast here. There's no question. I mean, there there there's a wide range of uh, of actors, looks, eth ethnicities, um, and, and the the I think there's only about eight or so uh, on this list so far. Uh, but it's pretty, pretty diverse. Um, let's start with, um, let's start with the Klingons. The, um, there's three actors that have been, that have been targeted to play Klingons. Uh, act, actor, um, uh, Chris Obi is Tukovma. Uh, and it's weird with these names, these Klingon names, they sound like Vulcan names to me. Some of these, uh, Klingon names for some reason. Um, but, uh, so we have Chris Obi as Tukovma. And he's a Klingon, and we have, uh, let's see, Mary Chefo, I think is that how you say Chifo? Chefo? She's Lorel, also a Klingon. Lorel? I mean, huh. anyway, uh, and then uh, Shazad Latif, he is Cole, which that sounds like a Klingon name to me, Cole. Uh, but those guys are Klingons. I, I, I think uh, Chris Obi is the commander, perhaps, if I remember right. Um, I could look it up here, but it's not that critical right now. I'm going to talk more of obviously about discovery as we start getting more information. The um, so those are the three Klingons that have been uh, been talked about. The uh, other actors, okay. So we have, uh, and I believe this will be be on the Discovery ship. Uh, we have Emily Coots. She's a con officer. No name listed yet. We have. Um, one of the early person, early people that was announced, um, Michelle Yeoh, uh, as Captain Giorgio. I think that's how you say her her name. Uh, which is actually, I, I tried to look it up. It, it's like a Greek name. It, you know, she's not like Captain Yi or anything like that. I I, I think it's weird to me. Uh, but maybe that'll be explained. Maybe she's married. Maybe she was married. Something like that. 
Um, and then Anthony Rapp uh, is Lieutenant Stamets. Uh, I think he's human. Uh, and, and Michelle Yeoh is, I think, human. And Doug Jones is Lieutenant Saru. He's that real tall uh, actor, very thin actor that played Abe on, uh, excuse me, on the Hellboy movies. Usually he ends up in a lot of movies with uh, a lot of makeup because he, he has a very tall, thin physique. Uh, he has been targeted to play um, a alien, an alien that we've not seen before, I think is what I read. And then the the big actress, or the not big as in physically, but uh, but the 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 big name and and the uh, lead of the series is Soniqua. I think that's how you say her name, Soniqua Martin Green. She is Lieutenant Commander Ransford. Uh, and the the story here that's been talked about for a long time is she's actually not the captain of the ship. Uh, that is someone else, which I don't think they've announced yet. It seems unless that's that's Tekovma. Unless it's a Klingon captain, I th- maybe that's the case. Maybe that's been announced. If it has, write me. <laughs> I've learned quite a bit. I've been boning up on and reading some things here before I did the show. But um, so, uh, so yeah, I think this is a real, real interesting cast. Oh, the and the most recent one they've announced, James Frain, who has been most recently on Gotham. He was on True Blood. He's done a lot of other stuff. True Detective. Uh, he is playing Sarak. Uh, yeah, he's playing Sarak, um, Spock's father. So does that mean we're going to see um, Spock somehow, perhaps? Of course, at this time, Spock should be on the Enterprise with um, with Captain Pike, right? You know, 10 years or so before the original series. 11 was about when Menagerie happened, I think, right? Um, so, Yeah. Maybe interesting. Maybe we'll get another car- uh, actor playing Spock somehow. Maybe they'll bring Spock in. Uh, so that's interesting. But of course, he is, you know, ambassador to Earth. So maybe that's going to be more of his role here, and they won't bring Spock in. But I mean, if the show takes off well and does well and runs for a long time, it would be odd to me if they have, you know, Sarek uh, on the show and not Spock somehow. So we'll see. Uh, but that's yeah, a great cast. Uh, I I'm really excited to to see this show. I I know again, there's a lot of people you know that have a problem with this all access thing they're doing. I I think uh, well, we'll find out how that works for CBS. There's supposed to be 13 episodes in the first season. Uh, the uh, you know, there's a bunch of uh, background people here listed. I'm looking at IMDb for a lot of this. Uh, they've got uh, you know certain certain listings for certain characters so many numbers of episodes and things like that although it not for the sorry for the actors um it looks like i don't know how they find this stuff out like like michelle yo anthony Rapp, soniqua martin green and doug jones are all listed as 13 episodes laurel the uh, the con officer cole the klingons are all listed for two episodes right now and, and sarek as one episode but you know who knows what that'll all mean. Um, but yeah, Discovery, we will be getting, uh, I think, again, late this year. I really hope. I'm, again, very excited for it. I think there's a lot uh, a lot of cool things that they could do with this. I still wish they had gone not in the time frame they're doing. I, I still think that that, meh, it, I, think, I think it's interesting, it, it it must have been a really hard sell, and it must be a, an exciting concept because, you know, the last show they did, Enterprise, was a prequel series quite a long ways before the original series, like 100 years before that. But to do a show so close to the original series, may, maybe that's their way of wanting to use a lot of the original series things in this show. There's a lot of ways they could do that, the aliens, uh, the planets and stuff, but... You've also got to be a little careful, right? Uh, I mean, there's been also a lot of talk that what universe, what what universe was this show set in? Now, I thought I had heard and read that it was going to be set in the original, you know, the original Trek's universe, not in the movie, the more recent movie, alternate timeline universe, alternate universe slash timeline. But um, so I don't know. Well, I don't know what all that means. You know, that that could restrict them, perhaps. I suppose if it's 10 years before the original series, that it could just be a completely separate little thing. Maybe it's some kind of covert ship 
um, that uh, both the the again Starfleet and the Klingons are working on together. But I mean, you know, there was talk that it was during the. It's going to be, you know, there's a there's been uh, a few things spoken about. This is a, a time period where the Klingons might be having an internal conflict, like a Klingon civil war. And I, but I, I can't see the, the Starfleet and the Federation getting involved in that. We're not even like buddy buddy with the Klingons at that point in time. So that's weird to me. But we'll see. Uh, hey, new Trek after, you know, it'll be like a, a 12 year gap, uh, 2005 to 2017. Uh, so I'm ready for it uh, big time. So uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll uh, get that very soon. And uh, I hope you guys are excited. I, I am. And I, you know, Five bucks a month, whatever for it. Five ninety nine a month. That's not, you know, gonna kill me and and probably, you know, again the the the, the tricky way that I always kept saying is, well, you can always wait a few months, wait till all the episodes are released. I think they are gonna just release one a week. That was their plan. It's not like a Netflix thing. So you wait till they're all out. You sign up for five ninety nine for one month, and you just sit down and you watch them all in a month. And uh, for five ninety nine, that's a pretty good deal. That's less than most most movies cost, right? You can watch 13 hours of Trek for um, $5.99. So that's not so bad. All right. I'm going to take a tiny break and I'll come back. We're going to wrap up the show. It's going to be probably a little shorter than my normal shows, but I think it was a good one and fun to cover Trek in some different areas. And uh, I'll just come back and to give you guys a rundown of what's coming up on Treks and Sci-Fi over the next few weeks. And we'll then finish things up. This is Commander Uhura of the Starship Enterprise, a.k.a. Nichelle Nichols, wishing you the best of the best through eternity. Okay. I also wanted to mention, if you'd like to support the podcast, just go over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Treks and Sci-Fi. You can sign up for maybe a dollar or two a month, get a cool Treks and Sci-Fi light up uh, LED pen, and help support the show, support the podcast uh, hosting fees. I got a, a you know some new gear here to use for the vidcast. Got my new set. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's how you can support the show. You can always write me treksf at gmail.com. Also, donations via PayPal are fine. Also, check up the all the videos over on vimeo.com, v-i-m-e-o.com forward slash trekkie, and you can see all the vidcasts and music videos that I put up there. Okay, uh, coming up on the podcast next weekend, you're going to have a guest host, of course, since I'm here this week. Uh, Rick Moyer is going to be back. Rick uh, offered to do a, a, another uh, guest spot, and I really appreciate that. And he's going to cover the TNG episode uh, Pegasus, or is it The Pegasus? Pegasus or just Pegasus? I don't know. You guys know which one that is uh, with Riker's old ship and all that, which I swear I had covered, but both Rick and I searched my archives and we could not see that I had covered it. So he's going to cover that next week. And that, so that, yeah, it's next week in two weeks, uh, which will be the 12th of February. Gosh, um, I'm going to do another, um, uh, I'm going to do a vidcast that time. Finally, I, I've been wanting to do one. I wanted to do one this week, but just be too time consuming and uh but i want to cover um do a i've done this before i'm going to do a little preview of all the cool movies coming in 2017 what i'm excited about cover some of the highlights and uh on a vidcast in two weeks so that's uh coming up on the 12th of february the week after that the 19th there'll be a guest haven't picked a person yet if anybody wants to guest host just let me know on the 19th of feb 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 people say feb (laughs) uh on the um 26th of February, I am going to do another year of show, like where I go back in time, literally go back in time. Yes. Uh, and, uh, I cover a year kind of like what was big on and some of the cool sci-fi and fantasy movies and TV of the year. And I'm going to cover the year 1991. Uh, that'll be at the end of February on the 5th of March already out that far. Yes. Uh, Vartok will be back. He's going to do a music uh, segment again for us on uh, composer John Debney. And then on the 12th, and I think that should be that date. It's a little tentative, but uh, Kenny and I are going to be back. We had covered, we had started covering the Harry Potter films. We did a a film per, or for for the first three films we covered on a podcast each. And we're going to get back into that. And we're going to get back going with Goblet of Fire. 
Uh, and we're going to record that actually in a few weeks in February, and then it should be ready by March. So I'm going to target to go that that goes out on March 12th. So that's what's coming up in about the next month and a half or so on Treks and Sci-Fi. Lots of good stuff. I'm excited. I think it's going to be uh, some cool things to listen to for you guys and, and fun for me to do and for the guests as well. So I think that's all. I'm going to finish the show, like I said earlier, with this little track uh, from uh, the Star Trek Discovery, what we think is the Star Trek Discovery theme song, our credit opening song. Uh, and that's about it. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thanks so much for listening. As always, tell your friends, join the Facebook group page like this there's a treks and sci-fi group where we talk about stuff and you can post things there there's a treks and sci-fi page on facebook where i just generally post when new podcasts are out there's of course the old forum is still there treksandsci-fi.com for all of the information you need on how to get to all these things so that's it folks take care I'll talk to you again soon bye This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production.